in your life. So we're going to go back to the series of hashtag hope. And so at the top of the outline, I want to just kind of re- reiterate what, where we've been uh, the last several weeks. If you've missed any, you can grab a CD on the way out. You can always listen online. If you'd like to catch up, uh, you're certainly welcome to do that. Uh, at the top of your outline, we said this, that hope is not optimism. And so as we started out on that Easter Sunday and we talked about hope, a lot of people think that hope is optimism. And you have a definition of that optimism. Psychological optimism is a personal trust in you, what you can do, what you believe you can do in your own life. Optimism is often a denial of reality because we recognize in life that sometimes things are just terrible, right? And so hope from an optimistic standpoint is, well, if you just have good thoughts, good things will come your way. And the reality is you could have all the good thoughts in the world, but if things aren't going so well, you can't deny reality. You've got to face it. Optimism is what you think you can do. It's positive thinking, not permanent trust. On the other hand, hope is theological. Hope is a personal trust in God. Hope is what you think or what you believe God can do. And that's that 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, where it talks about the resurrection of Christ, and it says that our faith and our hope is in Christ and the resurrection of Christ. That as we sit here as followers of Christ, we don't have to be optimistic because the reality is we don't want to trust in ourselves. We want to trust in something greater than ourselves and we want to trust in Christ and we want to place our trust in Him and as a result, we experience the hope. In your outline, we've been looking at miracles throughout the series and uh, most of them have all, all of them up until this point have been miracles that Christ uh, had performed. Jesus did miracles in his earthly ministry for a couple reasons. One was to va- validate that he was the Messiah, the Son, of, uh, the Son of God, that he was the one, the, the anointed one to come to take away the sins of the world. And so he would perform miracles to validate who he was. But there's always a lesson or a message in the miracle. It wasn't a miracle for miracle's sake. There was a lesson in there. And in that lesson was to build the, uh, the, the folks who experienced the miracle as well as those who would hear it, including us today, uh, it would build our faith and our, and our trust in Him, which would increase our hope in our life. And we've covered over the byproducts or the characteristics of hope in our life, how it helps us to change in an amazing way. Well, today we're going to shift gears. We're going to look at a, a couple miracles um, from the Old Testament in the life of a prophet. Now this is going to be, this, this message today is going to be two parts. So I'm going to do part this week and part next week. I think we'll get all the fill in the blanks, so you guys will be happy with me, and uh, all will be good. But if not, we'll come back next week, and we'll catch up on the ones that I missed. We had too much information, and not enough time, right? Which is never good. So if you will, if you have your Bibles, 1 Kings uh, chapter 17, let me give you a little background of what's taking place. The prophet Elijah is going to experience a time in his life where there is a lack. He's not experiencing all that he needs in his life. All right? And there's, a, there's so many lessons in uh, this, this, these three miracles that we'll look at over the next couple of weeks in, in our own life. Be, because oftentimes in our life, we think that when we're lacking something, that God is disappointed in us, that somehow we've failed Him, somehow we've been disobedient, and He's kind of like pulling the rug out from under us. Well, in this case, Elijah was obedient and was doing what God wanted him to do, 
and yet he still experienced in his life a lack of, and we'll see what those are. And so the idea is, as we look at today, this message and this lesson is, is so filled with trusting God and, and walking in faith even in difficult times in your life, even when it doesn't make sense. All right. So with that kind of in the background, let me give you a little, uh, little bit of background of what's going on in the backstory here. Elijah was about 900 years before Christ. He was a prophet who was called to go to uh, probably the worst king uh, at, at, at all times, and that was King Ahab, who had a wife named Jezebel, and everyone knows Jezebel, and people hear about the spirit of Jezebel and all that kind of stuff. Not so much King Ahab, they kind of forget about him, and they talk more about the wife. But anyway, he was like the worst of the worst. If there was a king who was bad, he was it, all right? He had a horrible financial economy at that time. Politically, it was a train wreck. Um, Spiritually, they were bankrupt. He had pushed out the worship of God and he had introduced a pagan worship of an idol called Baal and that became kind of the nation's religion that they would come after. The, Israel had been divided into two. There was a northern kingdom of Israel and there was a southern kingdom of Judah and midway through we'll see a little map of that. And so this is, was just a horrible time and God had touched uh, uh, Elijah to go to King Ahab to confront him about his poor choices and about how he has allowed pagan worship to come in, okay? And and so in that, when he confronts the king, the king is not happy with him. And he makes Elijah a marked man and basically says, hey, we're going to kill you. And so he's going to set off his guys to go after and try to kill uh, Elijah. And so in Kings, 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, and we're going to start at the very top. So you all ready for that? So now Elijah, a Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, that's the king, as the Lord, uh, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve. Now notice he doesn't say we serve. He says I serve because Ahab didn't. We serve. There will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Okay, So he confronts the king. The king is not happy about this. And he's going to go after him. And he's basically going to take him to a... Uh, uh, God's going to take him to a place where he is going to go without. Okay, And again, I want you to kind of understand because in our life, we think that when God pulls away from us or when, the, when we're lacking something, whether it be friends or resources or jobs or emotional support or, or physical support, we think that when God pulls away from us that we've done something wrong. Okay? In this case, it is not. He had been completely obedient to God. He had gone and he had, told, uh, he had done exactly what God had told him to do. And in this unfolding story, God is going to take him to three different places. He's going to experience three different phases of his faith journey. And grab that because it's so important because this is something that we're going to go through in our life over and over and over again. Where there's a time where we feel like we need more, we're lacking. And there's a time in that, in, that, in, those, in that process where we're asking God, where are you? Okay. So number one, 
He takes him to the Carith Ravine, all right? He takes him to the Carith Ravine, and that is the ravine of obscurity. You can write gloom, you can write darkness, you can write uncertainty, whatever word you want to use uh, in there. So God calls him to this ravine, this remote location where he's going to get his attention. Verse 2, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Okay, he says, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan River. So he's gone and he has said to the king, hey, no rain, no dew unless I say so. Because of what you have introduced in this pagan religion, God is not smiling on you. And right after he confronts him, he tell, the, the word of the Lord comes to him and he says, I want you to head out, head to the brick, uh, brook, verse 4. You will drink from the brook that I have ordered the, uh, well, go back to verse 3. He says, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth ravine, east of the Jordan, verse 4. You will drink from the brook. I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. Okay, so now we have home delivery for pizza. Now we have the birds doing the delivery. So this was long before smartphones where you could just type in and the guy drop off a pizza to your house. He's going to order the birds to come and feed him in the morning and in the evening. All right. And so it's kind of an unusual uh, miracle that God's going to begin to do. Verse five. So he did what the Lord told him to do. So he's obedient. He heads to the ravine. He there to the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan he stayed there and he actually stayed there for one year verse 6 the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook verse 7 sometime later the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land okay now the very first stop that God sends him to is this ravine And I looked on the internet, there's a lot of guys that speculate where the ravine was and what it looked like, and I just thought I would save you some time because we really don't know. But we know that a ravine, that we know that a ravine is a natural made waterway that as time goes on, the water runs through and it erodes it and it makes it kind of deep. It typically is kind of a narrow gorge where there's high walls on the side. It is a very remote place. It is a dark and gloomy place. It, there is an, a place of, it's a place of isolation in his life. There's no one else around him. There's nobody there to, to chat with. He's lost all contact with his friends, all contact with the outside world. All he has is birds in the morning, birds at night, and a brook that's running through the middle. And he's hiding there to really to save his life. God has placed him there to keep them, uh, to, to, to protect him. In your outline, the Kareth means in Hebrew, it means to cut off or to cut down. Okay, to cut off or to cut down. So again, I want you to kind of put your feet into his sandals. You do what God says to do. And then God says, hey, I want you to head out of here. I want you to go to the ravine. And in that ravine, you're going to lose track of the outside world, your support group, your friends, your family. You're going to have nothing there. It is going to be a time where you're going to be isolated. It's going to be a time where emotionally and spiritually you're disconnected. But in that year, I want you to focus completely and solely on me. Now, in our life, God will take us through these experiences. Whether it be we have uh, a time in our life where maybe our friends walk away from us, or maybe our relationship with our spouse doesn't go so well, 
where maybe we lose a job, the resources turn, change, the economy changes. There's times in our life where we feel like we're all by ourselves, where there's no support, there's no one there to hear us, to feel us, to, to come alongside of us. And oftentimes in our life, we're like, God, what did I do wrong? Why are you putting me in this very isolated place? But in Elijah's case, God had him, had him to go there. God desired for him to go there. And look with me in your outline. The reason why is because there was so much more that God needed to do in him. Because there was so much more that God wanted to do through him. God wanted him in isolation so that he wouldn't be distracted by the noise of everything else around him. Where it was a time in his life where he just had to focus on the Lord and the Lord only. That was it. He didn't have the outside noise of friends and family and all the different things that were taking place. And the reality is in our life that you don't, so, so often in our life, when all we have is God, we really don't depend completely and solely on Him. Because there are other things that distract us from Him. But at the end of the day, when all you have is the Lord, that's when you recognize that He's all that you need. And so for him, it wasn't an issue of disobedience. He was obedient. But God wanted to work in his life and he wanted to remove him from the outside world in order to develop him in order to change him because this is the beginning of his ministry. And you can go home and you can read through the rest of 1 Kings and other places in Elijah. I mean, he ends up doing some amazing stuff. But this is the beginning and God wanted to begin to change him in his life. In verse 7 it says, the brook dried up. I mean, imagine how you feel. You know, all of a sudden you're getting food in the morning, food at night, you got water to drink during the day, and a year later, all of a sudden, the brook dries up. And again, God takes us through this kind of phase of faith over and over and over again in our life. This isn't necessarily like a one-time thing. Sometimes it's a spiritual issue, sometimes it's an emotional issue, sometimes it's a financial issue, but there's times in our life where God dries up our support, our trust in other things to get us to completely depend upon Him. Now there are three reasons that God does this in our life. In your outline, there are three reasons that God allows the brooks to dry up. The first one is to keep us from depending on the brook. To keep us from depending on the brook. As the brook dries up, Elijah is going to have to forget about it and he's going to have to rely upon the trust in the Lord. Right? God brought him there. God had provided for him for a year. And it would have become very easy for him to focus on the bread at night, the bread in the morning, the water in the day. And the human nature for all of us is as time goes on, even though it may not be in a five-star hotel, we might be in that ravine. But as long as we're getting the food, as long as we're getting the water, as long as our daily necessities are being met, isn't it easy to kind of drift from God and not focus on Him? 
And this is a human temptation that all of us have. We all wrestle with it. And even in a, in a place of isolation, we can become comfortable in that situation. And God dries up the brook in his life. And perhaps God would do, is doing that in your life, maybe relationally or financially in your life, where all of a sudden God begins to dry stuff up and you start wondering, God, why are you doing that? What, 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 have, I, what have I done wrong? Right? See, the, the issue is, are you trusting somebody else or something else or are you trusting in the Lord? So that's why he isolated them, to trust him completely in him. And so he dries up the brook to get us to kind of come back where we begin to focus on him. But see, we think, we think that if God gives us something, he can't take it back. That's not the case, is it? The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Right? So the only thing that God gives you that's forever is eternal life. That's it. Everything else is a gift to us for a time. And maybe it's for your whole life. In that case, God bless you. But for others, He's going to dry it up because He wants us to begin to rely on Him and trust in Him completely and solely. Number two is to move you to a better place. He dries up the brook to, to move Elijah to a better place in, in his life. He's protecting him. He's feeding him. He's giving him water. And then he dries up the brook because ultimately he wants him to leave and head north. And we'll see that later in the message in the next week. He wants him to leave and head off, head off into a different direction. But again, humanly speaking, when something dries up, our first question to God is, God, what happened? Don't you love me anymore? But oftentimes God dries us, dries the brook up because maybe he wants us to move. Maybe it's emotionally, maybe it's spiritually. In some cases, it might be physically. In this case, he actually travels. But there's times in our life where God isolates us to get us to depend on him, to shift us in our mind thinking, perhaps, relationally thinking, or in some cases, physically, to move us into a different location. And so, when things dry up, we wonder, God, what's going on? This is going to destroy us. But in reality, it's there to develop us and build our character in our life. I share this story to you. When I first, I was a youth pastor here, and uh, I felt God leading me to become a, a, a senior pastor. And so I put out resumes to all these little tiny churches all up and down you know, uh, California. Nothing. Nothing. And my prayer was, even in a, as a youth, pa- youth pastor, I wanted to serve in one church for my whole ministry career. Because the guys who've done that, I just really respect. They grow with it. They, they, they mature in it. And I just really, that was my prayer. I want to serve in one church my whole ministry career, right? And I would send out my resume. I thought I had a pretty good resume. And I would send it out, nothing. It's like, Lord, you're killing me. I mean, these little tiny churches had 20 people in it. I mean, come on, what's wrong with that? Nothing, 
right? Some I would get back and they'd give me questions and they wanted to argue about theological positions and, and I'm like, I don't want to bother with that kind of craziness. I don't have time for that stuff, right? And, and so eventually, God had a plan. I didn't see it at that time and that during that season in my life, I was really wondering and questioning God's calling in my life, God's confidence in my life. It was a real struggle. And then later, I could see that our senior pastor at that time that I was serving with, he resigned and the church had me to stay. And I could see that. And what was interesting, I mean, years looking back, right, you can see it. You didn't see it at the time. But what's interesting is many of those churches that contacted me, one of those churches, they went through five pastors in five years. That wasn't where God wanted me. Because my desire was to be in one place and served there my whole career in the ministry. But at that time, it's like, Lord, what are you doing? And I thought that it was going to destroy me. But it built my character. And then as God provided that miracle and provided that way, it increased my faith. And I increased my knowledge and the sovereignty of God. And understanding that He had a plan for me. And it wasn't to move me. It was to move my mind to trust Him in a greater way. And so in our life, when things dry up, we think it's going to destroy us, but perhaps it's there to actually shape us and mold us into the image that He desires for us to be. We don't change because we see the light. We change because we experience the heat. Would you agree with that? I mean, wouldn't it be nice... That if someone could just say, I mean, you know, wouldn't it be nice you walk into the doctor and the doctor's like, hey, you got to eat healthy. And you're like, fine, I'm on it 100%. Right? I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? Hey, you got to exercise. No problem. I'm joining the gym. Five days a week, I'm at the gym. Five months later, you go by the gym. And I don't mean buy it like B-U-Y. I mean buy like B-Y. Like you drive by it. Okay? You know what I'm saying? And then you have the thought like, hey, it'd be a good idea to exercise. Which, in my world, that means I did. Your world too, right? I shouldn't eat as much, right? So I cut down. I only eat a half a gallon of ice cream, right? And that's good. I'm cutting back. But, but, but the reality is, and we all know this, that when you walk in and you get the bad news... The heat changes us, isn't it? it? I think it's true for all of us, unfortunately. I mean, I wish, that we, I wish that we were good at just listening and learning and being done with it, but we're not. Number three, the brook dries up to prove that he had not forgotten about you, or in this case, Elijah. So the brook dried up Not because God was absent from his life, but because God was paying attention to Elijah's life and he dried it up because he had something better for him to do. And so again, we oftentimes think that when when, when something is removed from us, that God isn't paying attention. But perhaps he is. Perhaps he is paying attention and he's removed it for a reason, because He wants you to depend on Him. Perhaps He wants to move you from a mental standpoint or a, or, or a spiritual standpoint or a physical standpoint. He wants to move you into in a, a different direction. And so in, in Elijah's case, he takes him to the Karith Ravine 
this gloomy place to tell him, listen, you got to depend completely and solely upon me. And when I dry up the brook, it's to move you to a better place in your life. And when I, when I dry up the brook, it doesn't mean that I didn't forget about, uh, that I forgot about you. The reality is I remembered you. And I wanted you to go to a different place. Number two. The second trip, part of his trip, is he goes north and he heads to the, on the road of insecurity. Okay, On the road of insecurity. In verses 8 and following, he uh, says, Then the word of the Lord came, uh, came to him, and it says, Go at once. Okay, So he's in the Caretha Ravine. He's there for a year. God does the food, does the water in the morning and at night. And then all of a sudden in verse 8, God says to him, he says, I want you to go at once to the ravine and I want you to head out to Zarephath in, in, in Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to, to supply uh, you with food. Verse 10, so he went to Zarephath, all right? So Elijah obeys. He gets up, he leaves that place, and he heads out. Now, on this journey, okay, on this journey of insecurity, it is not the place that you would want to go. He is a marked man because he had confronted King Ahab for pagan worship, for Baal worship. God is going to send him right through the heartland of Baal worship. He's going to say, you get up and leave, and I'm not going to protect you. I'm not going to have you go with some army and hide and go around the back way. I'm actually going to have you and travel right through the place, the heartland of Baal worship. Worse, I'm going to send you to King Ahab's wife's hometown. I'm going to send you to Jezebel's hometown who most people believed that her father would have been the one who would have been like the governor of it. So you are a marked man for saying, do not worship Baal, or, uh, do not worship Baal and worship the true God. And now God is going to take him from a dark, gloomy place and he's going to send him right through the heartland. And it's over a hundred miles in, to travel by foot alone in a drought now i have a map to kind of show you a little bit because sometimes uh you kind of miss so you have the the northern kingdom the kingdom of israel that's blue that's not actually water and you see the brook at uh, Corinthia. you see some say it with a key k some say it with a with a c at the very top in the in the top uh northwest corner you have zarephath that is actually modern day lebanon right it's not it's not even israel and so that is a, it is a, it is a Gentile place. And so he is actually going to go north and he's going to head off to the west. And he's going to travel over a hundred miles by foot right in the heartland of this Baal worship. Okay. Now, when I'm reading the account, I'm thinking, God, why did you do that? If you're going to send one of your chosen prophets that you said, go confront the king, why wouldn't you send him in a way that's safe? Don't we all like safe? Sure we do. We like safe, we like security, right? I want to read this and say that he took the elite army 
and he hid him in this SEAL Force Delta squad, and he traveled with these crazy military guys to protect him, and he sent Elijah to a king who had a secure compound. Unfortunately, that's not what took place. God didn't do any of that. And I'm sure Elijah was sitting there thinking, are you kidding me? God, I just have a couple problems with this. One, it's not the direction I want to go. Two, you're sending me to a widow, and we'll see next week, she can't even feed her kid. She says, this is all I have and we're going to die. Okay? Three, you're sending me to Jezebel's hometown where her father's probably like the governor of that area? That's not exactly what I'm thinking. I'm thinking safe. I'm thinking security. I'm thinking just leave me in the ravine. Bread in the morning, bread at night, meat in the morning, meat at night, a little bit of water, I'm good. Right? And God says, no, you're going to get up and you're going to travel. And it goes from bad to worse. In our life, doesn't that happen? Sometimes we think, God, it can't get any worse. And it does. And we think, God, how, how could you do that? I mean, it's not fair. But there's often times in our life as God takes us through seasons of growth where we go from bad to worse in our life. And as he's on this faith journey, as God begins to build him and begins to reveal himself to him, he's going to take him. So now as you sit back and you think, maybe the year in the ravine of building his character, now you begin to see why, don't you? He had him in isolation to build his character because he's going to do some amazing stuff in and through his life as he sends him off. You think through Scripture. Moses, when Moses let, the, uh, uh, let the, 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 the Jews out of captivity, did he have to cross the sea? That wasn't safe. Have you ever seen the sea part before? Have you ever been through a sea that's parted? But he took them through, right? You, you, you have David and Goliath. David had to step out onto the field in order to whoop Goliath. That wasn't a safe way. That, that didn't seem like it would make any sense. And so in our life, where we feel like that it's drying up and it feels like it's, getting, it's going from bad to worse in our life, he, here's just kind of a funny thought to have. Why don't, you think, why don't you thank God for it? Because you're close to a miracle in your life. You're close to God revealing something amazing in your life. But instead we begin to say, you know, God, why? 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 But He is obedient. He gets up at once and he leaves. And I happen to think that the reason why he sent him to the heartland of Baal worship is because he wanted to prove to Elijah that the living God was more powerful than a false God that all these people worshipped. And I'm going to put you in the middle of, a, of, of an area that worshipped a false God to prove to you that I am the living God and I am more powerful than the dead God in which they worship. But we think, God, why don't you just keep us safe? Why don't you just take us to a place where everything makes sense in our life? So there's a couple things to remember in your outline. Number one, 
is the path to a miracle is always through uncomfortable territory. You believe, believe that? When do you need a miracle? When life is really bad. Right? If you're sitting on the beach and you're just counting all the zeros in your bank account because there's a one and there's like 9,000 zeros behind, and you got your, your feet in the sand and you're kicking back and you're drinking the iced tea, right? And you know, like this, and they bring you the hot dog and the hamburger. You don't need a miracle, right? You need to lend me some money. <laughs> you need to take me on your trip. But when do you need a miracle? You need a miracle when someone's in ICU. You need a miracle when the marriage is going sideways. You, you need a miracle when the doctor says, I got bad news for you. You need a miracle when you're on the edge of disaster. That's when you need a miracle. You, you don't need a miracle when everything's going well. Come on, let's be honest. As long as we got food in the refrigerator, a little bit of money in the bank, our job is somewhat secure, whatever that means, hey, we're pretty good. Isn't it true? Sure, and then on Sunday we think about God. But when things aren't going so well, that's when we become totally dependent. And so miracles always come through un, uh, 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 uncomfortable territories. Again, just thinking through. You have, you have, you, have uh, you know, Moses and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's, it's, just a bad, it's just a bad place to be in. Number two, you have the source of a miracle. And we're going to look more at this next week. The source of a miracle is always unexpected. Right when you think that you have it figured out, you don't. Right when you have God figured out and you're like, God's going to do this, He's going to do this, He's going to do this, guess what? He doesn't. Because He is God and you are not. And if you could figure out God, you would be God. And we wouldn't need Him. And we could just talk to you. Right? And, and so, again, uh, you know, I, I think in my mind, you know, you got, got these guys that's like, the Lord's going to come back on September 21st, you know? And in my mind, I don't think it's true, but this is how I think of it. God's up there going, nah, we're not going to do that. They already got that one. Nah, they, someone predicted that one. Not, I'm going to wait on that one. Because who wants someone in heaven walking around going, I predicted it. Right? I predicted it. Look at me, right? So God's like, okay, when we stop predicting, he's going to come back. So if you want him to come back, quit saying that this is the day that's going to happen. Again, you think about it in our own life, and you think about through Scripture. You have God telling Abraham, you're going to be the father of a great nation. And Abraham figured it out, didn't he? And he ruined it. Because when God came to Abraham and he said, you're going to be a father of a great nation, at the age of 32, he had a kid. Wrong. It, his wife wasn't able to get pregnant. So then he has a relationship with Hagar and they have Ishmael. And he comes to God and he says, hey God, thanks for the son. And God's like, eh, it's not the way it was supposed to be. And he waited until he was 99 for Sarah to have a baby. See, right when we think we got God figured out, He does something completely different. And so the reality is, when you're, when, when you're in a situation and the brook has dried up, stop trying to figure out what God's doing. Just trust Him 
in a greater way and rely on him in a greater way. Isaiah 55 verse 8 says this, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts. If you were God, you could be God, but you're not. We have a finite mind and we don't understand God completely and fully. Number three, the third thing is this. The pattern for a miracle comes in, and it's going to be a little CPR there in your outline, command, promise, risk. Command, promise, risk in our life. We know what CPR is? Get your heart going. This will get your spiritual life going. Okay? So watch, watch how it kind of unfolds. We have... A command by God, I want you to go to the Caritha Ravine, I want you to go to Zarephath, and I want you to head out, we'll see how he does it next week. There's a promise, I'm going to provide for you, and then there's a huge risk. He's going to leave the ravine, and he's going to head right through the enemy territory to get there. And you find this all through Scripture. All through Scripture, you find this idea that there is a, that there is a command that there is a promise to provide or protect, and then there is a risk involved in the person to do it. Noah, I want you to build a boat. There's the command. What's the promise? I'm going to save you and your family. What's the risk? It had never rained before. It was the antediluvian age. Water came from the ground. And he's saying, it's going to rain from the heavens, and the people thought he was crazy. There was a risk. And you can read through his account and see what he risked. But there was a command to build, a promise to, uh, to save, and a risk that he needed to take in his life. You could do that with David and Gideon. You could do it all through Scripture where you see that there's a command, there's a promise, and there's a risk for us to launch out and begin to do it. And here's the deal where many of us fall. We, we, we get the command. We even believe in the promise. But we're not willing to take the risk to leave and head off into an, uh, an insecure area or a place where there isn't safety. And it's like, I don't know. And that's why he takes us into those moments of isolation. Seasons in our life where all we have to do is focus on him. Because he wants to build our character. For what reason? Because he's going to do something in and through Elijah's life that's going to be remarkable. And it is true in our life. This is a pattern of building faith in our lives that God will do over and over and over again. And I'll just throw it out on the table. Is it comfortable? No. Is it fun? No. Does it stink? Yes. But when you go through it and you look back, you're grateful of His provisions and His safety and His security in the midst of it. Let me give you a couple take-homes and then we're going to head to here. Lessons to take home. Number one, God is all that you need. You agree with that? And if He has to take us to a place of isolation for us to learn that, we are willing to go, right? Not always. There's an honest guy. Thank you. Number two, God will provide where He guides. He takes him to the Caritha Ravine. He provides for him. He's going to send him up to Zarephath. He's going to provide for him. God is going to guide. God is going to provide in his life. God wants me to trust him every day. And maybe I should have crossed that out and put every moment of every day. 
And He's going to take us into those situations for us to be completely dependent upon Him. Number four, God's promises are always connected to obedience. Always connected to obedience. Not disobedience, but obedience in your life. And so here's as we wrap this thing up. Okay, and we'll, we'll, we'll pick it up the story next week. If you're in a place in your life where the brooks dried up financially, perhaps spiritually, perhaps relationally in your life, where, where you just feel like God got you in complete isolation and you're wondering, God, do you love me? Do you care for me? The reality is he infinitely loves you. And he's got you there so you're whole focus of your life is completely on him because he wants to do something in you because at some point in your life he's going to do something through you that's larger than you could handle at this moment in your life is it fun no it isn't it's not fun but when you walk through it and god does it and you look back you will be grateful for that journey in which he takes you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to gather and to just sit under the authority of your word. And Lord, we're just going to be honest with you. We don't like being in isolated, gloomy, dark places. We like to be in light, airy, friendly environments where we're just sitting down and coasting through life. But God, yet we recognize that you want to build our character. You want to change us you want, to, you want to increase our faith, which increases our hope. And Father, I pray if there's a person here today who's just going through those times, that they will seek you in a greater way, that you will develop their character to be more like you in every area of their life. Father, that they'll look to you and you alone. And Lord, we give you the praise we give you the praise that you're there for them, that you never leave them nor forsake them, that your love is pursuing them. And we're grateful for that. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and I want to give you that opportunity to do that before we close. And how we invite Jesus into our life is a little prayer that we say. Prayer isn't what saves us, it's just the way we express our heart. And it's A is that we admit that we've made mistakes, that we're sinners. B is to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he died on a cross and he rose again. And C is to confess him as your Lord and Savior. And if you're here today and your desire is to invite Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, just silently as I say this prayer, repeat after me. Just say, Lord Jesus, today, I admit that I'm a sinner, that I've made mistakes. And I believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, that He died on a cross and that He rose again. And today, I confess Him to be my Lord and Savior. Lord, thank You for saving me. Lord, thank You for giving me a new start. Thank You, Lord, for forgiving me. Lord, thank You for loving me. And all that I have, I give to You. And I ask that You grow in me to make me a new creation in Christ. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, hey, Eric mentioned that uh, communication card.